Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Weekend at Crombies. Tonight, we will be facing Juggernaut. Welcome, dear listeners, uh, to this, our third episode of our third year of Weekend at Crombies. Episode 27, if you like, the numerical version. Indeed, which is a metric we've never used to count it with, but it is indeed the 27th episode, brackets, not including Christmas episodes, close brackets. Oh, that's true, yeah, I forgot about that. 27 episodes, that's impressive. 26, we haven't got to the end of this one yet. It could go go wrong, as we have seen by the film itself, nothing is certain. Let's hope we're both here at the end of this episode, and it will be 27 episodes, but who are we? Um, who are my we? name is Hugh, my trade is survival to get through the next 24 hours. And my name's... My, my name's... My, my name's are James Evans, and if there's one thing I can't stand, it's enthusiastic amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually you, had that prepped this time. You, I tell you what, and you win with that one. <laughs> but... Um, but so, yes, the film, as we announced, would be Juggernaut. Uh, James, would you like to kick us off into this? And I will, I will caveat, before we get into the, the, uh, the, the summary, that it is uh, quite a simple tale. So I'm interested in how long we can stretch out the summary of this. <laughs> well, because let's... it could be from 20 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes, and it's really in anyone's hands. It is really, yeah. Well, um, I suppose the first thing to say is we, we did we did label Juggernaut as... Um, Terror on the Britannic yes. at the end of um, Volume Two, um, Episode Two. Sorry, yeah, no, sorry, Volume Three, Episode Two. Last uh, month. Yeah, last <laughs> month. Yeah, oh, me. This is ridiculous. Yes, last month. Last month we said it was that we were going to watch Terror on the Britannic, um, but it's actually called Juggernaut. So um, we, we're going to just call it Juggernaut throughout. Okay, yes. so let's just lay that to rest. Yeah. Is... Um, so Juggernaut is. Uh, um, well, it's a, it, I suppose it's a suspense film, isn't it, really? Yeah, um, I we called it a disaster movie. But it's we did, but it's not. It's, 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 that's incorrect. Yes, it's an action suspense crime It is, type. yeah, it is. Um, and the, the film opens with uh, throngs of um, well-wishers and, and the public who are um, waving loved ones um, from the the, uh, the 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 port on on um, uh, a, 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 an ocean liner, I suppose, which yep. is uh, called the SS Britannic, which is just about to leave the docks. I'm not sure what docks it is. Southampton, I think. Yeah, no. that, that makes sense. Yeah, that'll do, won't it? Yeah, yeah Southampton. Yeah, and um, you know, it's got it's got 1,200 passengers on it. It um, is about to go on a cruise of the North Sea, <laughs> or the North Atlantic, sorry, which doesn't sound that exciting. <laughs> Um, but um, there are lots of people on, on uh, in the docks waving to the lucky people on, on the uh, on the cruise themselves, um, and it's a kind of like a, a, a just a throng of, of of activity, a hubbub as it were. There's no real sense at that particular point in time of, of, as kind of the main characters or or what's yeah. happening or, or what's going on. It's just a general scene of yeah. of jollity and frivolity. Yeah, really. I don't know if we've given the date for this. This film was made in 1974. 1974. And what we're seeing is the 1974 equivalent of glitzy. And <laughs> it's actually, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, well, but, but from our perspective, it's incredibly grey. It's kind of tacky. Um, they're literally just throwing streamers. There's a bit of a, a local band, and it, it looks like a, a wet week afternoon in Southampton. <laughs> well, well I'd, I'd go for... 
I'd go further, Hugh. I, I, I would say that it's a 1970s version of Glitzy. I would say it's a 1970s version of what um, British films thought Glitzy was. It's <laughs> yeah. not American yeah. at all. If you compare it with, say, Titanic, which, of course, happened yeah. uh, 70 years earlier than this, you know, uh, Kate Winslet popped out of the thing with the big old hat, and even yeah. Leo DiCaprio is, is running uh, romantically onto the boat, and it's all glamorous and everything's wonderful. It's not that. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, you can literally no. feel the wet pavements. <laughs> Yeah, you can. It's very grey. There are men in brown and green kind of suits, and they've got long hair. Sideburns. Yeah, it's just a little. Yeah. It's all. It's all. It's all a bit. Um, it's all a bit. Uh, I don't know. Sex offenders list, isn't it? Really, it's that kind of. Well, I'll tell you that also. Let's let go. I'll, I'm going to mention this, but I'll jump on it now. The very first shot in in Juggernaut is the sight of just a woman's legs, and it pans <laughs> all the way up. And it, I I couldn't quite tell if it was a, a like a, a girl in a band or just a very young woman, but it was a bit yeah. weird that that was the establishing shot. She's basically yeah, she's in she's in the marching band playing at the, the bugle or whatever for this for this for the um, the sending off. But that's where the film starts, and I thought yeah. okay. Interesting but, direction, which would uh, less it is, yeah. but, but it's filmed in a kind of um, verite style, isn't it? So there's there's no background music. It's diegetic music. The the, the noises of the crowd, um, and it's a kind of almost like a documentary style. This is this, the, the the camera has descended upon this scene of frivolity and enjoyment as people are w- wishing their relatives and loved ones a safe and happy journey on their cruise of the north atlantic yes the, the um, crowd stuff is interesting because again i um listened to this again with headphones that picked up all the stereo sound in it and yeah. it has got people just saying random things yeah, does, in and yeah. around the background you think, should we go for a drink then yeah all right then <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not um, like a script stuff it's just like just just have noise just say things yes yeah it, it's but yeah, i think it's um yeah it's not scripted at all but amongst <laughs> the crowd is our good friend and uh weekend at crombie's favorite sir anthony hopkins um <laughs> who is by chance uh waving his wife and two children um who are on the on the uh, cruise liner yeah. um who are going to enjoy a, a trip to the North Atlantic without him, they're having. I get the impression that they're having a bit of a break, aren't they? I think it's basically school holidays, and, and yeah. he's, because he's working, cause he's a, a superintendent. Um, he's basically that the wife is like, I'm not being left alone with the kids for the summer holidays. So she's <laughs> off to see. Her, so he's bought a ticket to see her sister in New York. So um, he's yeah, packed them right. off, and he's, he's giving them a goodbye, like goodbye, I'll miss you. And he's probably thinking six whole weeks, <laughs> <laughs> as we as we would all be thinking. Yes. <laughs> But let's be honest. Um, actually, his wife on the side is is she's she's you know she's, they, there's clearly you know affection for her and the kids, but she's also thinking six whole weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's thinking that. He's thinking that. The kids are thinking that. Everyone's happy. <laughs> um, I mean, that's marriage, isn't it? Really. If <laughs> <laughs> you can all self isolate in separate rooms, we'd all be happy. Um, so we digress. So basically, the boat the boat set sail, and it's um, yeah. and the, the only uh, well, just before just before we go, on, I would say that we've now been speaking for about eight minutes, and we're still on the very first scene. So I'm <laughs> thinking this is going to edge toward the one hour twenty three mark. I was trying to get us out of the docks here. <laughs> So okay, as the, the the ship sets sail, and apart from the fact that it's still under construction a bit, so there's a bit it's a bit rough and ready, and the seas are incredibly choppy. Um, it's mm. a it's a standard cruise, and you actually get again lots of yeah, you're right. It's like a lot of documentary shots about food is being prepared and people yeah. are playing shuffleboard and and stuff is happening around but the yeah, boat. Yeah, you would imagine you would imagine you know if 
have you ever seen the, the the kind of documentary drama program like airport or something like that where cruise ship was jane mcdonald on the cruise ship yeah it'd be something yes exactly it'd be something like that and um you know the the staff of the uh, ss britannic have um 1200 passengers to feed and it's not an easy task to coordinate um all of the the wine that needs to be drunk and all this kind of stuff as well <laughs> you know you expect it to be kind of like that oh yeah I will say actually one of the again one of the, the the things that holds together this part of the film is the uh, the sort of the um, the entertainment manager um, oh, Roy, Roy Kinnear um, who's brilliant uh, he he plays it brilliantly he's basically again he's he's in his most Roy Kinnearish um, yeah and I, uh, he's basically trying to chip everyone along you know doing a not terribly great thing of entertaining people because they're all a bit sick and bored and, <laughs> and he's he's kind of ineffectual and bumbling but he's he's got this grin like screwed into his face that he's trying not to, to say how annoyed and, and yeah, disappointed he is with the whole thing but he's um he's very good i was trying to think who else would you cast other than roy Kinnear, even like now like he's he's very much of a type um and oh, he's, he they broke the mold with roy Kinnear. he was brilliant oh he was i mean i actually miss roy Kinnear significantly um yeah but but it's not all it's not all fun and games it's not though. all fun it's and games no it's not all fun and games because um the, the movie suddenly um changes tack and it cuts to um our uh, well, it cuts to Nicholas Porter, who is the, who is the um, the the shipping lines, um, I suppose CEO or, yeah, director or, or, or you know yeah he's director or something like that, played by Ian Holmes, Again, quite a starry cast actually. All probably most of them were the, I mean Omar Sharif and Richard Harris probably famous. Everyone was just people who were going to be. Yeah, in the yeah. Pre, pre-fame or up, on the upward trajectory. Yeah. I suppose. You, can, you can tell this because Ian, looking at Ian Holm, he's he's quite slight and he's got a full head of black hair. And it took mm. a while to get who who is that actor? He looks very familiar. Oh, it's Ian. But you Holm. think it's only it's it's only a few years away from Alien. Yeah, he um, really. So it's you know it's yeah, this quite and uh, quite big. He must have gone the raging ball route then of shaving <laughs> his hair off and putting on a bit of weight. <laughs> but he, um, Nicholas Porter is at home. He cuts in like a home scene and. Um, you know he's he's um he's there he's got the he's he's looking after the kids i think his wife's on the boat no, as no, well. no 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 that's not true that's that's a that that would be a, a would be an a, odd film where everyone's, every, every, everyone's wives are on the boat <laughs> the, the boat <laughs> anyway, of wives his wife isn't there i don't know where she is no but um, again, again it is quite very funny he's the high director of a fairly um, important shipping line and he is and when you first see him you don't know what he is or what he does he's basically feeding cornflakes to the baby and the dog simultaneously <laughs> Yeah, and it is, yeah. it's kind of he's not bumbling but he's also kind of like oh this is quite a, a funny um, domestic scene I think that's yeah. one of like Richard uh, Richard Lester's um, things is just put funny little moments in there which again the film is, is full of but he's full of them but, yeah. but, or, but yes. or um, slightly uh, kind of counterintuitive scenes so obviously Nicholas Porter is quite a high flying chief executive yeah. and it's in a domestic scene where it's a bit of a mess yeah yeah. Um, but, and but, he, the phone, but the phone rings and on the other side yeah. is um, is Juggernaut Juggernaut, yes, got a quite a, an, an, an affected Irish accent, um, and uh, it's quite it's quite an interesting accent. It's quite spooky um, or is, creepy, I suppose. It is it's quite creepy spooky and creepy. Although I will say, um, and this might be a spoiler film, it sounded a lot like Richard Harris's voice. <laughs> and yes, given it, that Richard it, Harris is then the, the guy who comes to defuse the bomb, I was thinking briefly, is this going to be one hell of a twist? <laughs> That's what I was thinking all through, all through as well. Yeah. I was thinking that. I thought if he um, is Juggernaut, why is why is he why is he on the boat? If he's on the boat, why is he? Yeah. using his own bomb if you <laughs> to be honest it threw me completely because that's yeah. what I was expecting to happen throughout yeah. the film and I was trying yeah. to work out how it would have worked how, how yeah. the kind of logic of it has been pulled together yeah I think the whole point is Juggernaut is disguising his voice maybe they thought you know the 70s bomber make him an Irishman or whatever but it was a really bad choice because it all makes you think is that's Richard Harris's voice yeah. 
what's going on? Um, if, in, if people don't know, because we haven't actually said it yet, yeah. Richard Harris is in this film, yes, yeah. and he doesn't play Juggernaut. Yeah. Um, he actually plays a, a goodie. He's, he's, we'll come on protagonist. He's, he's most basically the protagonist, but we'll come to that, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so Juggernaut basically is called Nicholas Porter, and he said... Um, he, he's lay, he's got the lay of the land effectively. He has placed seven drums of high explosives aboard the ship, and um, has timed them to explode at dawn. Um, at, at dawn yes, and, and that they will sink the ship. And um, he has explained um, that he will provide Nicholas Porter with the technical instructions of how to disarm the the the, um, the bombs. With the exchange of, I think he says the very expensive sum of five hundred thousand pounds. <laughs> it's like that scene in, um, oh, what is it? Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Million dollars. Yeah. yeah. In fairness, I wonder whether that's where they got this from, actually, because I actually laughed out loud. Really? <laughs> I did think it was low, but they actually do make mention of it, saying um, he's not even greedy; he's just trying to make it easy for you. Um, ah, so maybe um, that's, that's right. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, they even mentioned, you know, this ship is worth way more than five hundred pounds. Even a trawler that wouldn't uh, cost more than that. So mm. I think, yeah, but it, it does seem like I'm going to blow that. I'm going to kill twelve hundred people unless you give me. Half a million. You could get a whip round for that, basically. <laughs> if yeah, I was on a exactly. boat and someone said, "Chuck in a few hundred pounds, but we're trying not to get you killed." It's like, okay, that's a mild lights. But you know, as, as a demonstration of his seriousness, what he does is it, he um, he he set kind of like a, a mini explosion on the um, on the, the the I suppose it's the ship's funnel, isn't it? It's it's on, the on the deck, which which explodes and um, it kind of. Um, I don't know if it kills, but it, it, it maims a, a, a crew hand, I suppose, a, a deck hand on that particular yeah. process as well. So, you know, everyone knows he, he's deadly serious with that as well. Um, and so the, um, the obviously Nicholas Porter, he, he informs the the authorities that that is the case. And um, so then we have a little brain trust of the ships, so Nicholas Porter, the, ship, the shipping director, and then yeah. the Anthony Hopkins, who is the superintendent fortuitously in charge of the bombing bit. And then you get the government... Um, Involved as well, so they have, they yeah. have all the all the top brass are yeah. puzzling out the problem. Um, and I, I quite and you know the the, the 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 slimy civil servant who is also part of that those yeah. the, the kind of the, in in the meeting. I like he's called Hughes, and that's all he's ever known as, just yeah. Hughes. He is very good. He's, 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 he's more sort of very cold than slimy. Um, oh yeah, it's very, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of typically cold yeah. civil servant. Yeah. And effectively, uh, Nicholas Nicholas, I'll say Nicholas Parsons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Porter is basically saying, well, well, we we will pay the ransom because, you know, 1,200 lives are important. And Hughes says, well, you might want to reconsider that. Yeah. It is not the government's policy to negotiate with terrorists. And then there's a big kind of like argument. And it comes to fruition that Hughes and the current government have given um, a very generous subsidy to the um, the company that, that um, Porter runs. Yeah. And that if um, they do pay the ransom, the the subsidy will be removed. Uh, and so there's a little bit of um, oh, okay, right. Well, there's a moral dilemma then. Yeah, do Ian I Ian pay Ian the ransom? Do I do I try to disarm the bomb, uh, or do we get do we get someone to disarm the bombs for us? Ian Holm was a great delivery. Thing, do you buy my conscience with a subsidy? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Again, it was one yeah. of the things about there was good actors in it because they they do a lot with the lines in here. Um, yeah, because yeah, you're right. The lines, if I mean on paper, I'd imagine that the script is is quite workmanlike, isn't it? Yeah. But um, the way that they're delivered, I suppose it is the sign of a good of of good acting, good solid acting, because yeah. the lines are delivered with brio, yeah. I think. So the plan um, is then. So the plan is, is that they're not. 
planning to pay, but Ian Holm is going to is going to go along with um with Juggernaut's instructions. Anthony Hopkins is in charge of the police of finding Juggernaut in terms mm-hmm. of of go, turning over all the the bomb makers they know on their lists and finding him. And then the government, uh, or these the special forces, are going to send in their top bomb disposal expert and a team to actually defuse the bombs, which is gets yeah. us to the protagonist <laughs> finally, Lieutenant Commander Anthony Fallon, who's played by Richard Harris, who is the the, the leader of the bomb disposal unit, and we see him at work. Um, yeah, we do, and uh, it, there's I, I really there's the, uh, the the scene where um, uh, Fallon is introduced is, is is really good because it's it, there's a transition between the ex, the explosion on the ship's funnel as yeah. the kind of the warning from Juggernaut, yeah. and then the screen goes very orangey red through the flames, yeah. and then it transitions into this large red canvas in a museum yeah. um, and then Richard Harris stands up like a tiny little figure in front of this massive red canvas yeah. and he stands up and you think well, what's going on here and it realises that what he's doing is dis- he's, he's undertaking a bomb disposal yeah. um, activity and, he, and, and that's where he, he says you know um, that the, 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 the line at the start which is um, I, if there's Sorry, um, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's enthusiastic amateurs. And it's a biscuit tin bomb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the he, he's he's the um, the creme de la creme of bomb yeah. disposal experts. But that transition yeah. threw me. Um, actually, that they mentioned the transition. I remember that because it did throw me into because it was so almost artistic. It was like the, oh, it was very it, artistic. Which, yeah. which is so out of sync with what the rest of the film is like. It's like well, it's, what? It, it's flair, isn't it? There's a bit of directorial flair in it, which I, I think suppose it does, really it does point you towards pay attention to this character because I've given him a hell of an entrance. But he's also and played, he's also played Richard Harris, Harris right? Yeah. He's also played Richard Harris, though, so you pay attention to him anyway. Yeah, you do pay attention to him. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, and so, you know, that's where we're first introduced to um, Fallon and his, um, his, his, I suppose his, his sidekick, Charlie Braddock, played by David Hemmings. Yeah. Um, again, um, I'm surprised that David Hemmings was in this in quite a minor role, given that he, you know, in, in the late 60s and early 70s was quite a famous um, actor in his own right as well. You know, so he was in quite big films in the 60s and 70s. Um, Barbarella, for example, and um, films like Blowout and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's a, a very uh, the, the cast goes deep. Yes. Yeah. Effectively, and they're, they're basically um, called in to to, to disarm the uh, uh, the bombs. Uh, yeah, you should point out that um, Fallon is a, a kind of like an ex-Royal Navy officer as well. I don't think uh, he's an ex-Royal. Oh no, he's Royal not ex. He's, he's still. He's in uniform. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a Royal Navy. Yeah, he's a Royal Navy Navy officer. <laughs> he's not always in uniform. He's hanging around in jumpers most of the time. So he's, he's clearly he makes his own rules. But yeah, he's 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 a serving uh, officer. And also again, he um, he. he obviously proclaims himself as to be the champion he's, he's he's driven by ego as much as the challenge doing it of doing you know he is the best in the, in the field and knows about it and he's got a very good rapport with charlie the two of them clearly have worked together for a long time they finish the sentences and they they know what they're thinking um, yeah he's he's an interesting character because or maybe it's the way that richard harris plays him he, yeah. although he's a bomb disposal expert he's a bit of a dandy <laughs> he, you know he's kind of like he wears his his um fisherman's jumpers and he smokes a pipe yeah uh, and he's got a big beard and he, you know he, he, i don't know he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a big beard <laughs> he has no big beard well n- no he doesn't <laughs> Metaphor- metaphorical beard he acts he acts he, if he has yes, a big beard. metaphorical big beard i, I know he, he should have had a big beard yeah he's got scruffy hair though he's, he's very richard harris um and he doesn't look like you know as you imagine an officer would look like but oh, again yes. if you think about again we're we'll very off other kind of bomb disposal films like say the hurt locker the, the the guy that's good at the bombs is always a bit off i mean that's the yeah. kind of, that's the thing they do isn't it they they're never quite as yes. no never. i don't suppose you you're just as you can be if you're disposing bombs in fact, actually, though, no, we think about the uh, in the English painting 
ancient. The guy who disposed bombs there was actually very by the numbers and paid the price. You see, he wasn't a maverick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You so can't, you always, can't be always worth being a maverick. Well, go be a maverick when you're you know, dealing with high explosives. <laughs> well, when we know, you know, Charlie Braddock, he's not much of a maverick either, is he? Gets his comeuppance. Well, spoilers. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, to get on this ship actually involves a very, very high risk because the ship is in high seas and the only way to get there is to fly in a Hercules plane and parachute out into the water in frogman suits and swim to the boat, which, again, doesn't go brilliantly well because of the seven-man team that... that um, Anthony Fallon is leading. One of them gets swept away when he's too weak to climb up the side's ladders, and the the three man little boat sent out by the the, the ship to to bring them in capsizes, and two of them are lost as well. So it's it's it's, and I think again I've, I've gone over it quickly, but actually this scene is shot if you like is a, as a practical effect because they couldn't fake it in those times. They actually had to have men parachute out yeah, into yeah. the sea. Is very yeah. well done. It's probably one of the, the the most exciting moments in the film when they just come out just to get on board the ship. Um, and, I think so as well, yeah, because they. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it's 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 well, it's a well-made stunt, I suppose, in the sense that they've got a real Hercules. Yeah. They're flying it really around the ship in the North Atlantic for real, yeah. and there are people parachuting out of it for real into the North Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it, you think, yeah. well, that, that's quite good. Yeah, and yeah, and the way it was built up too, actually, it made me. You know, I'm watching it. You felt very, you felt exhausted just watching it. You know, by the time they were hauling themselves up on these wooden ladders at the side of a cruise ship, which is yeah. got to be the top, the size of four or five stories, you feel just, oh my god, just get to the top. And then it's, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it does it well. It does it well. Uh, but when they do get on board the ship, they do get, they do the get on board the ship, and uh, Fallon um, meets for the first time uh, Captain Alex Brunel You've of mentioned the him. Ocean Liner, played by Omar Sharif. Yes, <laughs> it's ridiculous, really. Um, and um, should we make mention of Omar Sharif's side uh, sides plot here, in addition to oh, commanding a ship's plot, because it's weird. It is a bit weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there is a side plot where. Um, uh, Sharif is effectively sleeping with one of the female passengers. This is Bannister. And but, but it, it, and that is perhaps not so weird. I mean, it's a bit creepy, but it's a kind of 1970s creepy, so you kind of accept yeah. it. So she's she's um, more she's kind of um, a middle-aged or you know, early middle-aged lady um, who's very attractive and is clearly really mad, but has made, made mention of having you know um, affairs and what have you. So she, and she yeah. we first really see her. She's she's around the decks in the beginning, but then we see her in Omar Sharif's cabin in a in a silk robe. So that all mm. the 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 crew serving is like, okay, the captain. <laughs> they like they, yeah. they they win a bet on who he was going to sleep with. Yeah. But then for the rest of the movie, um, it's it's really like she's you know um, a thirteen year old breaking up with her boyfriend. Because... Oh, so I mean, it's kind of desperate and it's yeah, incredibly really desperate. Like because <laughs> Omar Sharif now, once he finds out the bombs, is obviously very stressed and preoccupied, and she would just like pop in, pop her head around the door, and he'll like, hello, he do go, you love me? Yeah, <laughs> yes. He'll go, go away. She goes, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and then that would be it. And, and this continues for the entire film. And I think it was meant to be like a romantic subplot that she she. Well, she, she, I think he eventually rejects it, um, but it's, it's yeah. really, she just constantly throws herself at him. Um, and it is slightly odd. Which is slightly odd. And yeah. I, I, think, I think, if I'm honest, it's probably a misstep in the film. Uh, or, or the film could have done without the romantic element of it. I think the, I think the character herself, yeah. the actress, is fine, but not in a romantic setting. 
Yeah, because um, there's her only other interaction actually is with um, Roy Kinnear when he's yeah. kind of he's he's, <laughs> he's again he's trying once the news spreads around the ship, basically everyone is actually not panicking, which is remarkable because I'd be running around the ship screaming yeah. looking for the lifeboats. <laughs> essentially, they, they can't launch the lifeboats because of the high seas, so they are in fact trapped on this ship. Um, yeah. it, it blows up; they're all done for. So Roy Kinnear is still trying to do you know the fancy dress party and to cheer everyone up. And it's, it is again this incredible bathos to see Roy Kinnear um, oh, like, try, that, try and try oh, and do oh, the. So don't go into the detail. I want to no. talk about this in the analysis. Okay, section. but, but, but yeah. there is a sequence in the film which is just brilliant. But again, her only relationship with him, and she actually has a better relationship with Roy Kinnear in terms well, of she she supports him and picks him up. Yes, well, I, I thought I thought that actually that that um, character development aspect that that bit of the film it it was fine as that. Yeah, you know, it's almost like it it, it would have been good if if um, her and um, Roy Kinnear just had a connection. I don't mean anything romantic, but yeah, just it yeah. was just about you know this glamorous, beautiful woman yeah. and this um, I don't know slightly overweight ship's social director yeah. who's a bit kind of um, nerdy, yeah. and they actually kind of get on. Yeah, but but yeah, so that worked. All the bits of her, and she literally is just throwing herself over. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, yeah and, and so that's that's a misstep. But we've we've digress and now we um so Omar Sharif now yeah is basically met with Richard Harris who basically says it's my boat now yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and they go down to inspect the first bomb this again this is a bit of a there are seven bombs and this one one of them is above the waterline and they go that's when we play with and if you know films you can kind of tell that this one will probably go off because it's not it's not mission critical <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and but I... it still it, it goes off because it's not mission critical, but nevertheless, yeah. it still shows danger. Yes, yeah. Or should we say how how it goes off? It goes off because they have to drill. They're not going to go through. They basically these drums with with big plates on the front where the bomb was clearly inserted, and they go, oh, "We're not going to go through the, the front plate. That would be disastrous." We'll drill into it, and they go, we we got to go quietly. It might go off, and they bring out some kind of rotary saw that operates. It's like a, a pneumatic drill. Yeah, and it's operated like a, a remotely. It's on a little robot, so they're not near it. But it is really like we've got to be quiet. It might have a trembler switch. <laughs> This thing wheels around. It's like you could be whacking it with sledgehammers. It's like that. It's not subtle. Um, kick it. <laughs> and so, and unsurprisingly, as they start to drill through it, the damn thing goes off. Um, it, it, so again, as a side plot, um, one of the Anthony Hopkins's son, who you know, being a uh, a preteen boy in a horror movie, gets into trouble because he wanders yeah. off. Cause he can't do as he's told. Uh, so he, he ends up running around the decks, and one of the ship's stewards, who will probably come to the analysis as well, because he deserves a little side note. He does, yeah. Um, but basically, they 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 have these blast doors to seal it off, and the boy runs into the blast doors. So they have to, you know, is the quick kind of get the blast doors open, get him out. So the boy survives, but the steward is killed when the bomb goes off. Um, so that's the first like, oh, this bomb is serious. Um, mm. Luckily, the ship's not sinking because it was the the play bomb. Um, but but now we've really got to pay, take care of the other six. Yeah, that's right. And um, effectively, there are um, they can only really afford to explode or make mistakes with two of the next. Yeah, two of the next six. So basically, uh, if if two explode, yeah. the ship will sink. That's not basically. made as clear as it could be, I think. No, but that's that. Yeah, I am right in that though, aren't you, I? You are right. You are right. I think it's either it's either muttered or something. But you, again, we'll come yeah. with now. you're never given a completely clear picture of what right. the what the stakes are bomb wise because normally you think it's a bomb it'll blow up and but anyway yeah, exactly, um, yeah. so and, yeah i suppose i suppose part of the kind of confusion there is that if if only two explosions would sink the ship why have seven <laughs> <laughs> why have seven bombs but anyway that's not the point is it yeah so um so uh we we have a situation in in the meantime on on land yeah. hopkins 
um, is Superintendent, you know, McLeod. He's frantically running around with his sidekicks trying to find um, the potential uh, juggernaut. And they have a, a, a long list of dissident um, uh, Irish Republicans, um, oh, Middle former, Eastern former, terrorist yeah, names. Former British bomb makers who are retired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Defense, and they got, they're yeah. going down the list, basically, you know, talking to yeah. people in prison. So tell us, you know, do you know anything about this? To be honest with you, I don't know and I don't care. I just don't care. You know, it's things like that. And people aren't giving them anything. Yeah. Although it, I think it was quite well done in terms of um, of who they who they got to play these things. Because they're quite a few good characters. Like Michael Horden is just... Michael Horden? He's a, he's a random, like he's an ex-services bomb maker. And he's yeah. just in there saying, oh, no, it's not me. And then you think, is it him? Why would they get Michael Horden just for that? Well, exactly. Why would they get Michael Horden to and do you, that? Yeah, just Fred, Freddie, Freddie Jones is another retired man in the cardigan. Yeah. So they get, they get actors who you think, well, they wouldn't just come in, would they? But there's a few of them who so think, well, are they throwing us off it the could be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get, you definitely, it's, it's really, that's really, really good pieces of casting, I think, because you do start to think, like, it's got to, why would, yeah, why would they have Michael, I thought, why would they have Michael Horden in this film? Yeah. Just to play a random kind of bookie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, we're so back to the bombs. So the new plan is uh, is that Richard Harris is not going to drill into it. He's going to um, he's going to basically unscrew the. <laughs> he's going to do plate. what he should have done to start with. Yeah, get, get a little screwdriver out and gently look at the bombs. <laughs> but, you know, this is the world's best bomb. <laughs> don't drill the bomb. <laughs> right, lesson one, boys. We don't drill the bomb. Glad we glad we sorted that out. But um, so the plan is he's going to he's going to lead his team through it. They're going to have a bomb apiece. So he is going to be on one bomb. Um, and he will be linked up with radio to London, who are also drawing the bombs. Um, quite accurately, given they're only just hearing it, they do fantastic pictures of these bombs. Yeah. Um, and but Char- Charlie, his number two, um, is going to be on the bomb number two. So everything. So if he unscrews screws a bolt, Charlie will do it too. So one one will follow the other. And if he makes a misstep, then Charlie will know, don't do that misstep, and he'll take over. So that's yeah. the that's the plan for redundancy. Um, and so it goes. So you have the the scenes where you know they're cutting the correct wires. It's going well. Yeah. And in fairness, given it's what follows is a you know a technical process, which I you know I wouldn't know a brown wire from a, any of the. No, um, no. It's well, surely quite, you know a brown wire from. A I red. would know a brown wire. Yes. Well, <laughs> you, 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 you say that. <laughs> I mean, whatever you do, you do not do not get into the bomb disposal industry. <laughs> I don't know brown wires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just walk into the situation. As long as there aren't any brown wires, guys, I'll be okay. There's a cerise wire. <laughs> I, mean, I can see a burnt umber. Is that the red or is that the brown? <laughs> um, but actually, because I was saying, for a very technical process, um, it's, it's, it's engaging. It's, it's it? engaging and suspenseful. And because yeah. they've got a nice back and forth between him and Charlie, um, it's, yeah. it's quite entertaining as well. They, you know, they, they're, they're almost, they're not quite bantering, but you can see they're falling into a rapport that they have when they're doing bomb disposal. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I agree with you completely there because this this scene and the, the scenes that follow could be quite dull i suppose yeah. or or maybe dull is the wrong word but they could lack tension if not done well but i felt i felt the scenes where they were trying to disarm the bombs incredibly tense yeah, exactly. and effectively all they're doing is unscrewing screws yeah yeah and cutting wires and they you know, yeah. I mean, like i said we don't know what the stakes I mean, are knows, really yeah. yeah i mean they they're saying they're, they're, you know, they're sweating and this kind of stuff but we have no <laughs> idea if, if, if screw number six is more dangerous than screw number five uh, <laughs> um but there's, uh, and in fact, yeah, this this is where I, I think the film kicks into another gear. It takes an hour to get there. Um, yeah. Before that, it's all been set up, and it's not until you know, sort of, Richard Harris gets to grips with the bomb is that we really kind of yeah. feel the film begins, if you like. And yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a criticism either, is it? I mean, I think the setup is is important. It's done well. Yeah. 
Um, but but it does ratchet up a level now. Yeah. And so as so a bomb disposal goes on, and then just as um, Richard Harris is about to, he basically is going to insert a bit of plastic to make a contact. He's going to basically do another thing to disarm the next stage of the bomb. The mm. ship rocks, and he falls backwards. And before he can do the thing, Charlie gets there ahead of him because he thinks his his head of the step, and Charlie sets off the bomb because the thing they were going to do was booby trapped, but they didn't know. Yeah. So poor Charlie is killed, and that rocks um, Anthony Fallon um, to the core. To the core, yes. Um, again, the ship isn't sinking because, again, the, the Quieten bombs have yet to go off. Um, but he's he's like, it's over, pay money. Yeah, we're not yeah. going to do it. So he, he goes off to the captain to drink whiskey. It. Yeah, so they're done. Um, but however, so at which point then Ian Holm is like, okay, we'll pay him then. Uh, and so they do that. And in fact, it's... it's um, before that, actually, we should do on, on the chase for, for Juggernaut in London. Um, Juggernaut has been in touch with them again, giving the instructions on how to, you know, put the suitcases full of money, etc. Oh, yes. um, and yes. and while they're doing that, um, the, the police are racing around in police cars, tracing the call. And I only mention it because the way that Juggernaut foils the call trace is so 1970s tech. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they they, they yeah. burst into the room where the call has been traced, and they find a telephone receiver hanging off a chair next to another telephone receiver. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's he's done it. He's rigged what the call. <laughs> It's like we can't cope with technology this advanced. <laughs> so he's yeah. just placed two phones next to them to talk to each other. <laughs> um, but uh, in fact, yeah, this is this is. Um, I quite like actually the the irony of this because what happens is um, Juggernaut, who has clearly been so well meticulously planned in terms of how to lay the bombs and set mm. this up, has made just a slight error in basically he hired. Um, a bagman, somebody yeah. who, was, who was ignorant of what happened. All he did was take these cases and put them from A to B. So put yeah. them on the so, plane. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're about to pay the ransom, and this is the and they've got, and they've got the ransom. So, that, so this, yeah. this hapless person who's just been said, get these bags, has gone up to the folder, he's got the, he's got the locker, he's got the bags, he's gone to take them to the airport, he's put them on the plane, and all of a sudden, oh, that's excess baggage, you need to pay £14. And it's like, I haven't got £14. <laughs> and the whole plan falls to pieces because they didn't realise the bags would weigh heavier than it would be, yeah. and the bag would need some money to pay but for in it. Fairness, we've all been there, haven't we on Ryanair we've got to pay that excess without realising it and so so yes so the bagman is caught and Juggernaut doesn't get his ransom um, no he doesn't and then Juggernaut then calls uh, Ian Holm the, the director to say the agreement's off this and, and we find out that Juggernaut is in fact one of the previous interviewees the, uh, the kindly old man in the cardigan Freddie Jones Freddie Jones Sydney indeed Buckland. Sydney Buckland who by another quirk of um, contrivance <laughs> Has uh, previous with Anthony Fallon. Yes, he was a mentor. He was he, he was in the bomb disposal game before he went to the bomb making game. I will what? say though, on what was what was going to be the big reveal of the movie, is problematic because uh, Juggernaut is basically calling from a payphone. Which we, yeah. he speaks in the payphone and says, "Our arrangement is is terminated. You know, that's it. Bye bye." Basically saying, "Tough, the bombs are going off now," um, and. And then he hangs the phone up in a phone booth, and you see actually it's just across the the river from where um, yeah. Ian Holm is. So it's meant to be irony. There's a yeah. few things with this: is Juggernaut is disguising his voice with a gum shield, um, so he can't be traced. Um, I couldn't understand a word of what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's like I had to rewind the film three times. Say, yeah. is, is, what's, what's, what's he saying? Is he say, is he saying the game's up? Is he saying what's more money? What's what's going on? Um, and so I wasn't I wasn't really engaged in the shock of oh my god it was that gentleman they interviewed yeah. earlier it was him all the time I was like what's he saying also Juggernaut was doing a different voice he wasn't doing the Irish voice anymore. no he wasn't was he so he was doing some kind of he was rough talk or like rush because he had a gun yeah, shield in his yeah. lower lip so yeah. that was weird um, and I can see what they were trying to do but I think the execution was poor 
Yeah, um, I think that's fair. I think for the big reveal, that could have been done. It didn't even need to be done. It didn't need a lot more effort. No, no. Just a little just bit don't more. Don't the bleeding gum shield. <laughs> yeah, just take it yeah, and stick to the Irish accent. Stick, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> then you'd know it was Juggernaut. Yeah. Because all you know at the moment is Ian Holm is getting a funny phone call from a man with a, with a gun shield in his mouth. <laughs> um, but either, so nonetheless, so now it's, it's, now there's nothing left. Um, so Anthony Fallon has to disarm the bomb because the juggernaut is not playing ball, the, the payoff hasn't gone wrong, and the time is the clock is still ticking. So um, Omar Sharif basically gives him a kind of pull-yourself-together-man talk. Um, Richard Harris hurls a bottle of whiskey at him. And yes, goes, I was okay, say, yeah, it's, a, it's a large glass. Wait, well, first of all, he has a large glass of whiskey. He does. It basically downs that, then throws the remaining uh, bottle at Omar Sharif's uh, head. Yeah. He just just like ducks out of the way and yeah. it smashes into the wall. It is, it is probably what you call classic Richard Harris. He's, he's, oh, he's, yeah. And he's railing yeah. as well. He's, he's, he's not only, he's basically saying, you know, we're what's, what's 12,000 deaths? Like we're all just, you know, microscopes in the universe and this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then, then, he, then he goes into a bit more personal about, you know, how I mentioned his, his life is, is a, is a, basically a get through the day that's all he does yeah, he's, he's in the business true. of survival uh, which I suppose if you spend your day with your face shoved in a bomb you're going to have a quite different perspective on your mortality yeah you are aren't you you are I think what, what, he has a good line too he said something like um, it's like the goldfish say there must be a god who's changing the water <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh no yeah that's excellent as an owner of goldfish I, I admired that comment I'll have to keep it <laughs> But so basically, yeah, so um, Fallon, now, um, I was thinking, he's a couple of shots of whiskey to the good, I hope he can operate in these conditions, but he's, well, Richard, he's, he's Richard Harris, yeah. 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 He's doing well, but he, I suppose it's, yeah, I mean, you take a lot more, I mean, the only thing missing from this film is probably Oliver Reed, they have had a whale of a time. <laughs> yeah, but he, he does have, there is a case actually, they, they do it, you know, just he has a case of the trembles, he, he looks at his hand and he like slaps his hand together and like pulls himself together, so there's a nice little, so basically when, when the, the end game now of the bomb disposing, when Fallon is going for it, and he works out the fact that the whole what he's been doing so far has been a massive decoy the real yeah. mechanism is in the back which has been it's hidden in the back yeah so he yeah. gets to the back and he he works out that he's seen this bomb before this type of bomb and the person who helped him defuse it last time was his old mentor buckland so he yeah. goes get buckland in and the fact is when they're bringing in buckland to talk to him that they, <laughs> this is a bit contrived too they find in his bedroom um a few brochures for the botanic <laughs> Yeah, it did, didn't they? Yeah, and that again, that again is the smoking gun that caused them to realise yeah. it was Buckland yeah. all along. And it's always like his his wife is uh, kind of looking over um, from behind the chair, just yeah. like going. <laughs> it's one of them seeds, like everyone's like wagging their fingers at him and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Oh, Sydney, how could you do it? <laughs> so, but the, so now they're still on the radio to Richard Harris, who's, who's got the bomb. Basically, he's now got to the the, the actual mechanism. And it's a trembler, as we feared, and basically there's just a red wire and a blue wire, and that's what it boils down it's to. It's amazing how it always comes back down to that, doesn't it? I've, I'm, yeah, I was tempted to Google, do real bombs have a one wire yeah. that counts and one wire that goes off? But I thought, oh. is that good for your internet presence to have bomb-making searches on Google? <laughs> <laughs> Probably like, not. Google, I want to blow up a ship. How would I best do it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do they? Always, I mean, it's it's the classic, isn't it? It's always the same, and yet it's always quite thrilling and yes, you know, high tension. It's how it's how they, it's how they do it. Um, yeah, do it wonder, is, yeah. Why a bomb maker has a wire that would, if cut, would cause the bomb not to go off? But yeah. I'm, I'm not a bomb maker. Um, <laughs> or, or, or a bomb disposer. Or a bomb disposer. Yes. So basically, um, Harris basically, um, or Richard Harris then says, 
get me Fallon, I want to talk to him. And after much to and from he gets him on the radio with three mm. minutes to go now. And again, Fallon does a good job of, of talking to him. Basically, he doesn't like yell at him or berate him. He, he, no. he, he's quite deferential to him because he clearly, Buckland is driven by ego. He goes, I acknowledge that you are still the governor, but yeah. I'm scared and I know what it's like. You, you know, I'm scared, Sydney. You know what I'm feeling right now. It's Which, a nice scene, actually. It's it is, cool. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's obvious. He's obviously playing, playing to the gallery, but... Yeah. Um, it's it's nicely played uh, because you would expect him to be quite you know or it's quite subtle and understated yes and yeah. necessarily so and and it it, it taps into um, Sydney Buckland's ego as you say and yeah. he's, it, it works a treat yeah and it's 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 well played because they they could have gone the whole kind of there are twelve hundred people there are women and yeah. children let me let me put on the phone for the little boy who's going to die but no they did yeah. they did quite well um and he says you know do I cut red or blue and uh, Buckland pauses and pauses cut the blue one um. Which Fallon's about to do then has a has a flash of genius and thinks it must be the red one then and mm. he cuts the red one and is indeed the one that deactivated so the whole team cuts their various red ones and that's it. The, the... I think that's highly irresponsible. How's that? Well, he, I know that it was successful. Yeah. In the sense that he cut the red he cut yeah. the red one. Yeah. But I mean that's a hell of a risk. <laughs> right, that's a hell of a risk just doing the opposite to what he said. Well, that's a hell of a risk. I, I would, mean, I, I, would, I, would have, have, I would rather have died. You really? <laughs> <laughs> I was initially thinking the hell of a risk is not telling the team what he's doing because that's the whole point of being on radio with the team. Oh say, yeah, that's true. Uh, I but, forgot about that. Yeah, because um, but I, I did immediately work it out saying if the, the team would have assumed he'd cut the blue one if he said nothing and blew up, um, and then they would have cut their red ones and therefore saved the ship. Because that was the whole point. It was it, it boiled down to it's just Fallon's life at stake because the whole team will know whichever wire um, Fallon yeah, cuts. One, yeah, it will either, either cut or not cut the same one depending on the yeah. results. So that yeah. works in that regard. It makes it more dramatic. You know, he's got the clips. There. If he said, "Team, I'm cutting the red one," <laughs> it would have yeah, drawn away a yes. little bit from it. You're but, right. It would, yeah, it would have slightly taken us out of the. I would have liked. I would like a bit more. I don't know how they would have fit it in, but I'd like to have known exactly why Harry or Fallon knew that um, the Buckland would have lied to him if he. What, if he what, well, I suppose that's what I mean. Yeah, that, uh, that's what I mean by it being highly irresponsible, yeah. because it's not like they were in the same room together. And if they, you know, if they were, they might he might have been able to use physical gestures or, yeah. or eye contact or something like that. But, and so the only thing I can think of is that it would have been a technique of Sidney Buckland's in his bomb making kind of, you know, tutoring, as it were, or something. You know, he 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 charges the red wire, not the blue wire. No, I'm more thinking it was the case of um, because they, they they talk about actually Richard Harris was getting to know the bomb maker as he was dis, you know dismantling yeah. his wick. So I'm getting to know his. Oh, and it's a trick. It's a trick. Yeah, and yeah, so I'm that's getting to know his brushstroke. So it, it, there is a sense of he's getting into the psychology of the person who built it, and therefore because there's been lots of of tricks and false leads in in the bomb so far. The whole mm. reason Harris has gone around the back is because the front was a, a trick and this kind of stuff. So it, it's you have to dig a bit deep, probably deeper than you need to, because the film ends immediately. Basically. That's it. He walks off the off the, the the poop deck with his with his pipe and, and his jacket of his shoulder, and it pans <laughs> his out. His metaphorical it. beard. Yeah, his metaphorical beard. So it's over very quickly, um, and that's it. Everyone's saved, and and as if God is on the side, the incredibly rough seas that have been pounding the ship all movie go. <laughs> there there is blue skies and sunny cruise weather as the, the passengers cheer, and actually some of them throwing their life jackets overboard in a, in a gay <laughs> abandon of we don't have to go overboard now. Yeah. Yeah. probably not recommended I think keep your life jackets just in case but <laughs> it's funny how like during during the hours where there was um, significant risk that the ship was going to blow up and sink yeah. nobody seemed to care 
<laughs> and there's the moment where everyone is saved. Every, everyone's like, yeah, this is amazing, it's brilliant, all this kind of stuff. So I just thought, you know, what you bloody fickle passengers. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, um, I don't know, on Anthony Fallon's um, LinkedIn page now, there'll be some, there'll be a member of the, um, there'll be a passenger at the time who's commented to say, you know, he was reckless. A bit, you know, um, a, a bit reckless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you think, oh, what? <laughs> But uh, with that said, and uh, and probably <laughs> twice as long as we needed to there, we have completed our synopsis of mm. of Juggernaut. So yeah. uh, join us after the break, and we will take a little look into it and decide why we chose it. Oh, Welcome back, dear listener, um, as we start to, to lift the lid, to unscrew the bolts on the front of Dragonaut and start to probe around the different wires with our little clippers and strips of plastic. Um, <laughs> so uh, so we'll, we'll begin, as we always do, uh, by inviting James to say why you chose Juggernaut slash Terror on the Britannic as the film for this month. Well, I suppose the first thing to say is the reason fundamentally why I chose it actually turned out to be not the reason at all so um i i, I what i i um i'm quite a big fan of disaster films generally and what i like about disaster films um is the the very um kind of cliche it sounds a bit contradictory but i quite like the cliche the 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 very standard approach to disaster movies that are common the, the kind of disaster movie tropes i suppose that you get i find them quite reassuring quite comforting and very entertaining i wasn't specifically looking for a, a disaster movie to choose for weekend at crombies but i'd come across um juggernaut um in in my kind of general search for films that i was i might want to watch at some point and i thought well that sounds interesting i like richard lester who went on to make well who had obviously in the 60s made quite a lot of the kind of beatles films hard days night and okay. uh, and had gone on to film uh or or kind of um rescue the 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 superman 2 movie from um richard donner um yeah. uh, in the kind of late 70s as well so i thought oh, i quite like him as a director um did he do Superman three as well as two? He did do Superman three as well. That, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that. you can yeah. you can see his style in that though. You, yeah, you definitely can, definitely can. Um, and then as you know, as I as I kind of read the synopsis of the film, I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And it was described as a disaster movie. And then I saw the the cast, and I thought, well, that's a really interesting cast. And then I saw that Anthony Hopkins was in it, and I thought, well, that's a weekend at <laughs> I mean, as it, as it happens, Anthony Hopkins is quite subdued as Anthony Hopkins. He's yeah. not; he doesn't he hasn't gone full Anthony Hopkins at this point. But there are there are kind of snippets of him in it. He's, so, yeah, he plays a very restrained man. Um, there's yeah, we'll come, we'll come to the analysis of him, but he's, there's, yeah. there's no explosion of anger, which they could have fitted in, I think. You know, oh, my, my name is that, my wife, my wife, sir, I'm the boat, sir, <laughs> and my children, my children, sir. I suppose at the time he wasn't necessarily known for that, though, was he? That's the yeah, thing. He had to build up that well, caricature. Yeah, well, it takes a while to build up that caricature. If he pulled it out then, it could have been ten years earlier. We could have had ten more years of Anthony Hopkins oh, getting angry at things. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, and I thought, well, that sounds really interesting. And I quite like, I quite like films that um, have a kind of, uh, you know, have been re retitled for whatever reason. <laughs> So I've no idea why Juggernaut was retitled Terror on the Britannic. Because Terror on the Britannic is a terrible title it for a really film. Is. And Juggernaut is so much better. 
Um, and it actually has something about what the film is. Anyway, as it happens, it's not a disaster film at all. No. I mean, it really isn't. It's no. a suspense thriller um, and a, a high-tension suspense thriller at that. So despite it being um, chosen for the reason that it didn't become, I am nevertheless content in what it is. Okay. So that's fine. Also, as usual with Weekend at Crombies, I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> and I thought, for a cast list like that, yeah. how have I not heard of it? It's either going to be terrible or it might be a hidden gem. Yep, that is so, true. Certainly worth watching. Yeah. Although, again, allegedly Richard Lester was hurt by people thinking it was a disaster movie. So yeah, and I think you he weren't didn't do many favours. No, no. You, you... And you can imagine why, because you're going to go into the film expecting one thing, and it's totally different. Which was actually my experience with it. I had to recalibrate mid-film, because I was, yeah, I was thinking, this is a rubbish disaster movie. It doesn't do any of the tropes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want, I want chaos. I want um, the passengers. So... When you when you read the synopsis of the film and you look at the cast list, yeah. actually you think, well, that, that clearly is a disaster movie. Movie because disaster movies usually have a cast list deep. Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, I don't know, in in like Tower Inferno or something like, or the Poseidon Adventure, the seventh. Um, I don't know, Deckhand is played by George Burns or something like that. You think, what? How have they got this? <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got Michael Horden. I mean, in what world is George with... Burns a Deckhand? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but you've got like Michael Horden yeah. with one line in the film. You yeah. think, well, this must be a quintessential disaster movie. But the, the, yeah, totally... the, the alerts there at the start when all the, the main characters are in different locations, which is definitely not a disaster movie. Normally it's, it's one main location and people yeah. are trying to fight to get on board or off board or whatever. And here they, they've all got their own little plots, which is more of a suspense thriller. It's like all the, the pieces working together. Exactly. So, you know, what, what, once I, as, as you've, you've kind of articulated, once you kind of recalibrate yourself to it, you can, you can watch the film for, for what it is, yeah. which is a suspense thriller. Um, and, and I think that that's fine. So, you know, it didn't do very... Well, I don't know whether it did very well at the box office or not. I don't suppose it that matters. It in, it can't have done, but it's been lost to time anyway. Yeah, yeah. It certainly, certainly is a a, a film that um, you know hasn't hasn't you know lasted hasn't done well in in kind of overall. In fact, in fact, actually, I was reading something about um, about the film, and um, when, when the, the the article I read said that when Omar Sharif died a few years ago, they had um, like a, a bit of a kind of uh, 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 like a recap of his career and, and the, the, the kind of the on the television I mean and, and the, the, the television article was saying basically they showed clips of things like Dr. Zhivago and yeah. uh, you know um, what's, the, what's the one with um, oh Peter O'Toole Lawrence of Arabia oh, yeah. Yes, so yeah. and you think wow well, blimey and then they apparently they used Juggernaut as an example of a film whose Omar Sharif's later career took a downward turn yes um, and I mean, you know, without spoilers, I think that's a bit unfair. Um, but it's, but you know, in comparison to those other types of films, the Doctor Zhivago's, the, the the Lawrence of Arabia's, you know, they're on a different scale, totally. They're the epics. And you think, well, why is Omar Sharif taking a film like Juggernaut? Why is Richard Harris taking a film like yeah, Juggernaut? Yeah. Why is David Hemmings taking a minor role in Juggernaut? All of these things, you have to ask the question. Um, there, and, and 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 the cast list is full of full of actors. Who are either on the way up or on the way down. Um, yeah. I, there isn't really anyone in it. Perhaps Richard Harris is an exception, but there isn't really anyone in it who's who's you know the top of their game, like a real kind of yeah. international superstar. No, I think you're right with that. Again, you got Ian Holm, um, Andy Hopkins, who are a decade away at least from their most 
well, the beginnings of their fame. Mm. And probably two decades, probably 20 years before the two of them become known. Household names. I mean, yeah, yeah Hopkins would have been in it, The Elephant Man, Magic, um, Home was obviously an alien. But, you know, they, they weren't major... They were they were character actors, right? Yeah, and yeah. They were theater actors. Yeah, and um, yeah, I wish if I can see how it means by it was you know it was a downturn because the captain is one of the most thankless roles on the boat. You'd think it would be more major, um, but he, he doesn't do a lot, that. and he gets that awful lot, Mrs. Right. Mrs. Um, Mrs. Bannister subplot in it as well. Um, he gets yeah. he gets one good scene with Richard Harris. Richard Harris, you know, gets at least a, a dozen. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Richard. Like Harris, Anthony but... Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins does very little other than interview a few people and and walk around just saying, you know, my wife on that boat. You know, we can't find him. But he has a lot more to to do. Um, because well, well his, his uh, Anthony Hopkins' role in the film is more propulsive. Yes. So yes. there's there's his his actions move the plot along, whereas Omar Sharif in the film has quite a passive role to play in it. Yeah. You know, he, he things happen off him yeah. rather than because of him. Yeah. Which I don't think needed to happen with the, with the, I think on a you know when the 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 the, uh, the plot is a ship, the captain could have done more, um, and in fact yeah. almost, he's almost he's excusing himself saying like you know he's not going out in the launch because you know like you know why and it's like I assume I know why because the captain wouldn't do that but you mm. know if you, if your captain is unusual and dynamic and this kind of stuff maybe he would maybe he would like you know I'm the only one who can go out in the launch this kind of stuff and they could have if they'd wanted to make the captain a bigger better character. It was quite easy to do so. He could have been one of the, the bombs. To, he could be one of the guys getting the wire. Yeah. They he, could have had, he could have had an action scene or, yeah. or something said, significant yeah. to do. Because we mentioned one of the bomb team had been swept away in the landing. So they get yeah. like the, the first mate is then drafted in to deal with the bomb. He's like the yeah. seventh man of the team. And then Marshall, we've got done. The captain could have gone, you know, why are you doing this, captain? Well, you know, if the ship's going to go down, I'm going to be defusing the bomb. Yeah, they're my people. And so you're right. Yeah. It's, it was a bit of a thankless role. He, he deserved better. <laughs> I think he did. I think he does. He does well enough in it. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or, but I don't think we'd be having this conversation if the actor wasn't Omar Sharif. But that's what I mean. Yeah, if, if it had been a, a bland, um, regular captain guy shoved in there, you'd go, okay, the captain's there. He's not important. Richard Harris is the star. But you're looking it's... at Omar Sharif, thinking he's got to be doing something better than he's currently doing. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in a disaster movie, he would be. He'd yes, be hanging yeah. off. He'd be hanging off some railings, falling into the water or something like that, or trying to survive. But this is what we're doing. Oh my God! They killed Omar Sharif. It was serious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, you'd be questioning if they can kill Omar Sharif, they can kill anyone in this film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, nevertheless, nevertheless, that, you know, he, he he does have a, a minor role. So that's, you know, there's 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 the, the the shift in the perception of the film being a disaster movie and is actually something different. In terms of the film itself, um, there there are a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Um, generally, I suppose the the first one is the 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 way that it's filmed, the the directorial style of it, I suppose, really. And um, in in particular, what I wanted to 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 highlight which I found quite interesting and actually quite exciting in many ways, was that I felt that the film had a lot of um, propulsion to it. It was, it was quite a propulsive film. There wasn't a lot of shoe leather happening in it. There, I mean, uh, uh, perhaps with the exception of the romantic side um, kind of line, I suppose, which I don't think was necessary. And I'll give you some examples of this. So, um, I like I like the opening. I, I very much like the opening of the film as well, actually, even though nothing's really happening. Um, the film begins in quite melancholic um, kind of um, hues and, and, and colours, um, and it's all hazy and fuzzy, and you don't really know what's happening. And as, as the camera comes into focus, you realise that they're red and white and blue ribbons being um, 
um, kind of thrown as as this is the you know the ship is setting sail, and then it comes into that kind of verite style documentary feel of the camera walking through the crowds as there's naturalistic dialogue talking. It's as if you're actually in the crowd or on the ship as it's moving off, and then every now and again the camera will focus in on a particular individual, and oh look, it's Anthony Hopkins, yeah. or it will focus in on another character. Oh look, it's Roy Kinnear. Um, or look at that, it's Omar Sharif, and they're having relatively bland, but nevertheless interesting and important. Sorry, you can't have bland and interesting. Can you? <laughs> relatively bland, but important scene-setting kind of shots, as it were. Yeah. And it doesn't really. I know that that doesn't follow on in the film necessarily, but I just quite like the style of that as a way of putting you in the scene. You don't need to be told much to kind of know what's going on. Yeah. Who again? Who is the actor in this? He's almost an extra, but he's in all the scenes. You wonder was he just a well? He's kind of a lanky guy with a handlebar moustache. Yes, I don't know, but I know I've seen him in films. Yeah, yeah, me too. And he, he's he's in all of them. And he like he's almost talking, interacting, but he's not important at all. But he's in so much of it. You're thinking, I don't know, is he going to you know be crucial to the plot? Um, yeah. Which again, I had you, I was in disaster movie mode, so I was inspecting the passengers much more than just window dressing you assumed they were going to be important like um clifton james who was uh, in the james bond films as sheriff wg yeah, Pepper, yeah of course is, yes, is he's, in this, in with, he's in it his wife as a as a, as a mayor and uh, he's basically he's he's, 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 uh, he's not in it as a mayor he's he's he comes out to be he's like an important man he's like full of himself yeah. and he's asking he's a politician isn't he? yeah, he's an american he's, politician yeah, and he's asking he's asking the right questions you know like why are we going in circles what's happening here so he's, he's clearly insightful but that doesn't that's there to service in terms of keeping the audience informed as to what's happening he he's he plays no role at all in the film in terms of no he doesn't no he doesn't but i suppose much like a number of characters who don't really have a role in the film but are there as passengers it enables the camera to come in and out of focus for points at which a a feel or a sense of the atmosphere of what's happening on the boat is important yeah. And so you need to have some connectors. Otherwise, what's happening is the camera is focusing on people you've not seen yes, or yes. don't have anything to say. So there needs to be some connectors. They don't need to play a major role, but they need to have some role in kind of keeping you informed of the vibe and the interactions of what's going on in the film itself or on the ship. Yeah. And I think that's quite important. The, the, um, the, the, the second thing I wanted to talk about with, with regards to the film's kind of propulsive direction, and the, um, there are a couple of scenes in the film where this happens, um, but none more so um, exemplified when um, Juggernaut first calls Nicholas Porter and describes the scene of the bombs on the boat. So what happens in this, and this I think is a very typically Richard Lester style um, f- piece of flair kind of um, filmmaking effectively, you know, a, a, a less technically gifted director might have the phone call with Nic- uh, with Nicholas Porter and then <clears throat> try to overly explain what's happening as a consequence of that call in other scenes, as it were. Whereas what, what Richard Lester does is the call happens and it's overlaid with visuals of things happening on the boat. Um, so what we have is a situation where we can hear Juggernaut's voice yes. and we can see the um, the bombs on the boat. We can see people talking on the boat. We can see the situation. And what happens is it effectively means that you get a lot of plot in a very short period of time and it still makes sense. Yeah, that was well done, I thought, because there was there, there literally is 
the, you see the panic start to spread because it, it begins off with you know the juggernaut setting the scene and we get Clispin mm. home, and then it goes to the you know the the, the captain's telling the officers, and the officers telling the stewards, and they're searching yeah. the decks and they're finding the barrels and, and yeah. they're isolating the barrels and yeah it's it's very efficient and actually quite well played out. It is actually that that's the word I'm looking for. It's efficient, um, yeah. but sometimes I mean like so for example someone like Clint Eastwood is quite an efficient film uh, f- filmmaker. It's kind of nuts and bolts, right? Yeah. I don't think you really know that you're watching a Clint Eastwood film, but I find that he's he's almost too efficient. So there's no flair there. With Richard Lester, you've got that real efficiency in storytelling, but it's visual storytelling. And that makes it. I, f- I found that very engaging. There's another scene um, w- w- when when um, Hopkins um, finds the you know the two um, telephones with the with the hooks off. Yeah. The scenes happening then as well when he's on the phone, and then you see scenes of, of of Hopkins and and his kind of lackeys running around trying to get to this place, and it's overlaid with the phone conversation. So you don't see the phone conversation take place between the people. You see the consequence of the phone conversation happening. So it's almost like it's it's discombobulated from time because obviously the cha- you know the, the 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 phone call with Nicholas Porter and, and the bomb exploding at the start of the film is not at the same time yeah but that doesn't matter i think that it's really effective in bringing those two things together so i found that quite clever and of course that first scene ends with the transition into the museum the art gallery where you've got the big red vista which i think is really effective as well so i quite like that and that to me was um quite quite it was a signature move of richard lester in this film actually Okay. Which I which I liked quite a lot. Um, so so that, that so that's really good, and it, it, that kind of builds up through the film. And I think the crescendo of that, although it's not quite the kind of overlaying of action over words, there's a crescendo of a verite style um, sequence about halfway through the film. And um, I think actually this is probably my favourite bit of the film. There's a there's a lot of the film which I enjoyed, but this particular bit I enjoyed a lot. And it's when everyone knows effectively that there is a series of bombs on the boat. And nevertheless, um, Roy Kinnear um, decides that they're still going to have their fancy dress party in the evening. And so re- remarkably, everybody turns up in fancy dress, but they're really miserable and they're sitting around on, on couches. They're having their drinks and nobody's saying anything. And Roy Kinnear's up the front dancing, you know, I did it my way or, um, I don't know, um, talking about maybe it's because I'm a Londoner and trying to get everybody. No, it's, it's the Lambeth Walk. Oh, it's the Lambeth Walk, isn't it? Yeah, 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 that, trying, find trying to get everyone pepped up for this. Yeah. And the Lambeth Walk gets... and Literally no one's interested. The but Lambeth Walk is up... famously not a solo. And you have Roy Kinnear in the middle of the dance floor, trying yeah. to hold, holding the lapels with his thumbs. You'll yeah. find them all. <laughs> it's, 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 it's... It's almost heroic. In one sense, it's pathetic. Um, well, the poor, pathos poor... in that particular scene is brilliant because not only is the situation pathetic, but he is pathetic in yeah. that situation. But what I liked about it that there is there is redemption. Yes. Because as as and the scene's quite a long scene as well. It goes on for about ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah. Into intercut with conversations in other scenes as well. But nevertheless, what happens is that you know he basically says, "Oh well, you know what? Screw you all!" Like and goes and gets a drink at the yeah, bar. Yeah, I, I just did the way he lets the mask immediately drop and he realizes that no one is into it. He just goes to the bar, says, two yeah. double two double scotches in one glass." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he obviously he meets he meets um, Barbara Bannister, the woman who is yeah. who is courting uh, desperately the the captain, and you know they agree to have a drink, and then you know it, um, he asks her, look, would you mind if we had a had a had a dance? You know, it's the pathos. Look, it might be the last dance I ever have. Will someone as beautiful as you 
do me the honour of having the last dance with me. And she goes, oh, I thought you'd never ask. And there's well, a bit thought, of connection. I, yeah, I, I thought, thought it was quite that, nicely played. I thought it was, it was actually even better played than that because, again, it's it's. I've mentioned yeah, how awful she is with the captain. It's like she's a different character with, with Kinnear. Um, yeah. And, it, it, again, it might be just they had better chemistry because he's kind of, you know, muttering like, oh, God, I'm supposed to be, you know, chewing mm. everyone up and I'm terrified. And she just goes, I think um, people just want to hold each other. And he just comes back with, I'll give you an estimate. Um, and, yeah. and it's it's and there's a nice bit of two voice. He's not just like debasing or saying, "Yeah, you are so beautiful." And, and no, no, no he's literally like bantering, that. and she seems to appreciate. It. They've actually they've got a good chemistry together, and then they say, they oh, do, you want, "Do you want to dance?" She goes, "Yeah, let's have a dance." And she's almost helping him find his mojo because once they hit the dance floor, everyone else joins well, in as well. It's a slow burn, isn't it? It doesn't yeah. just happen. Yeah, but people start. They look around each other and start to realise that actually we're all here together. Let's have a good time. And it, 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 it's probably um, the pinnacle of it is a conversation that um, Clifton James has with his wife. And they've realized that, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad moment. But his wife asks him, you know, have, have you ever cheated on me? Have you ever slept with someone, someone else? And he says, um, since we met, yes. Since we got married, never. And I can't think of a better place or a, another person that I would want to spend my last night with or something like that. It's really moving. I mean, I've yeah, done yeah. I've, I've done a hatchet job on that. Yeah, if we're, we're going to die, I, I, I'm, I'm, thank, I'm thankful that it's with you or whatever. But yeah, and actually, I was, I was, I was like welling up at this point. <laughs> what the hell? What? I thought this was a disaster movie. Then it's turned into a high suspense. And now it's like a moving romantic drama. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and then everyone starts drinking. And I thought that was just, it was just fantastically done. Yeah. Um, and really well played. Yeah, I think it's maybe like it owed my shoe for something where they... Um, they're in, they're in the bridge now, operating the ship, and the like. The first mate hears the dancing and the singing, and he's like, "Don't even know what's going on." And then she was like, "Yes, they do. That's why they're singing and dancing." Yeah, exactly, exactly. The 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 other the other um, aspect of the film I wanted to mention was Richard Harris. I feel like I've spoken quite a lot, so um, I, I might come back to Richard Harris unless you've got something to say about him as well. Uh, let's see. I have thoughts on the structure of the film, but if any more okay. to do with characters, I'll jump on yeah. one character. There's, there's the, uh, we mentioned earlier that when the first bomb goes off and the little boy is saved, the 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 person who saves the boy is a steward who gets killed in the blast. Um, Mm. He's an odd one because he's 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 established quite early on as a character. Again, in the this is a disaster movie, he's he's like one of the ones you would you you, you establish them early, you get to know them, and then you kill them off to get the yeah. ball rolling, yeah. um, which which fits that trope. Um, but and in one hand, you're kind of on his side. He's he's quite a personable character, but on the other hand, they have him with this tick that basically when he talks to passengers, he puts on the most... He's, he's, a, he's an Asian, or he has some Asian heritage in him. Mm. Uh, and he has the most effective kind of char waller accent. As yeah, a, he does. Oh, I am very happy here. Yes, <laughs> it's wonderful. And then when he talks to any colleague, he's like, he's oh, like, oh, our mate, Liverpool are playing yeah. Chelsea. We're going to murder you. It's, yeah. like, it's like, okay, that's a choice. It's yeah. like, and it certainly makes him memorable, I guess, because you're thinking, got, like, what? Yeah. So he he was in um he he was in uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Oh, Chatalal, yes, he yeah, was, that's he was him, the yeah. Prime Minister. In, oh, I love that scene when he puts Indiana. Yeah, Jones. yeah <laughs> brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Tomb robber. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah um, but yeah, so... yeah. So he, he's got quite a minor role, but it, it it's quite interesting. And even 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 with him, he has he has a moment yeah. uh, of of pathos as well when he, he again it seems to be with um. With the, with the woman as well, it seems yeah. to be with um, with with Bannister. So there's a, there's a scene where he's serving her, and um, 
but they have a conversation and she she says do, do you like you know serving on the ship and he says well you know um i'm i'm uh, um i'm a ugandan indian and in, in uganda i'm not wanted so i came to britain and in britain i'm i'm not wanted um so i i come onto the ship and on the ship i'm wanted and, thinks, wow. and, and you know he's done as you say he's doing this in really strong childhood accent that's the thing but the way you described it he, he does it in much more pigeon english than that it's almost like manuel is there oh it is yeah it is yeah <laughs> And then he comes, he comes out, and then you know meets one of his colleagues, and he's like, "Oh, I'm like, hey, doing," yeah. and all this kind of stuff as well. So I, 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 I was upset sure how true killed. it is with him. Yeah, well, I was upset when he got killed though, because again, he um, when he you know he literally grabs the the boy who's yeah. who's gone run who's gone exploring near the bomb scene, like some idiot yeah. child always does, yeah. and he basically drags him out, and then is yelling down the phone at the blasters, "Open the blasters! You're gonna kill us all! We got a boy here!" And he throws the boys to safety and gets killed himself. It was it was you know heroic end, and I, I was sad he went. Um, so in one hand, it was a yeah. very good way in a very short number of scenes to establish a character you would recognise and like but yeah. it was a weird way of doing it with the, the, the why, he had to have, why he would affect an Indian accent as if passengers would have, would have expect that from a, from a steward and yeah it was yeah. strange maybe it was a 70s thing it was just maybe, maybe yeah maybe people found accents funny in the 70s maybe, maybe they just thought that, you know, that maybe they expected it to be that kind of trouble on a, on a, yeah, on a, on a yeah. ocean yeah. and therefore he got a bit yeah. of tips or whatever um, but it, it was I suppose it's more of a character depth. It was, it was character depth. It's probably better than just having him as the guy that serves the tea. Um, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I, yeah, I think so as well. And again, it's one of those little touches where it, you, what, what you're trying to do is to second guess the decision of that. Yeah. And you think, well, there was no reason for that. But at the same time, it makes it makes those minor characters more memorable. Yeah. You know, it makes them more memorable. Um, which I think I think's interesting. Yeah, I suppose yeah. looking at characters too, um, who didn't weren't quite as memorable was um, again uh, McLeod Anthony Hopkins' wife on board the ship. Yeah, and when yeah. you consider that she's basically the Holly Gennaro of the, of the, uh, yeah. the scenario, yeah. she's awful. She's seasick at the time, so she she spends most of the time washed out, you know, and post vomitous. Um, but um, she's she's just utterly without life at all she's basically she's either lounging around or moping or whatever there's there's no sense of um no. of anything she's not else. i don't think she's she, I, I mean you know she's, she's not given a lot to do but well that's, that's, just... that's also the, thing the plot doesn't do because actually when um when the boy is, is saved from from the explosion he's the one that talks to anthony hopkins he's like daddy daddy i got blown up in a bomb it yeah. was fantastic and you're thinking yeah. isn't that a conversation you'd have with your wife you know like yeah. are you okay dear yes we're okay dear. are you worried and like He's got connection, and we never see him talk to his wife. Well, this, is why, this is why I think she, she's she's on the cruise because they are separating, or of, or something like. <laughs> no, she doesn't, no, she doesn't mention that because she has a she has a, like a, a girl talk with um with Mrs. Bannister when they're just yeah. chatting about men, and there's no there's no mention that she's having problems. I think she's, no. she's just utterly underdrawn. She's there to ramp up sort of sort of you know the tension that because actually Anthony Hopkins doesn't need his wife and kids on there and. I suppose it's more work for him because you can see what he's what he's, what he's holding back. Because actually, when Anthony Hopkins yeah. is talking to one of the uh, the suspects, you almost think he's desperate to blurt out, "Look, I know you and I are a suspect, but my wife and kids are on that boat. Please yeah. help me." And again, that might be Anthony Hopkins, you know, doing a lot of work behind behind his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hit and miss, I think. Again, the fact that I suppose like, it is hit and miss. The fact yeah. there were so many They're... characters close up on the guy with the handlebar moustache who did nothing and no one, and you were just kind of waiting for him to speak was an odd one. Other characters, again, <laughs> like the steward, like Roy Kinnear. <laughs> They sort of did a half decent attempt at Mrs. Bannister that made you memorable. Like, again, certainly the um, again Clifton James's character. You're right. The, his wife doesn't yeah. do much, but he 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 has a lot to do. 
Um, he does, he does. And actually quite interesting to see Clifton James playing against type, I suppose, in, in some of yeah, still yeah. larger than life. He still had a cigar, but... but you were expecting him to kind of, yeah, get his six shooters out and go, yeehaw, <laughs> I'm going to switch me about. Yeah, but he didn't. So I was like, oh, wow, yeah. that's interesting. That's yeah. quite nice. You, you were talking about the structure of the film that you wanted to talk, uh, you had some views on. Yeah, so, um, again, we've been very positive about this film. I think, again, in the round, though, I, I, I had issues, with, again, with the, the structure of the film in terms of how it ramped up the tension. And I think in, individually, like in the scenes when Game Richard Harris is doing a bomb, the tension mm. is wonderfully played. So in the, the micro level, it is it's right there. You're, you're, you're holding your breath as it happens. Mm. But mm. We, we talked about this earlier. I didn't quite appreciate all the, you know, the stakes. There are seven bombs on the ship, but you can yeah. lose a couple of them and it's okay. Which is the crucial one that it actually goes? Yeah. Yeah. Why are there five guys yeah. on the walls? Isn't one enough? And it was, it was the way it was all dealt with like that, that never basically i was going along with the film thinking the film knows how when the, when when it's going to get tense i'll just go along with it i i wasn't yeah. i wasn't orientated to it and that actually made it harder for me to sort of to feel as tense as i think i should have been it wasn't like oh my oh, god there's, there's, there's any you know like charlie's bomb's gone off oh my god now they're in real time they've only got one left it's like tick tick yeah. tick so that i think was a thing um yeah just a, a greater sense of you know what was the state because all the passengers were there but you know how quickly the ship would go down what would happen yeah. to it you know something like that like when, when, yeah. when Charlie's bomb went off the ship rocked a bit and it seemed to be okay there was no like damage control no one was like hammering bits of metal over the hole yeah. the ship had caused and this kind of stuff and I think structurally that would have been useful even when if you have you know someone back in London with a big picture of the ship saying you know here's the bombs boom 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 if two of them go off it's over that's it and that kind of stuff so I think just a step back would have been useful to 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 really plant down what was happening because actually they, they do get very technical about the types of bombs being used and they, they get all the stuff. I think just uh, what the effect would have um, would have been useful I, for that. I, I don't I don't disagree with you in general. What I would say though is that um, I I I found that despite some of the flaws in in the film and some of the flaws in the structure of the film, yeah. it didn't it didn't really detract from the tension I felt in the moment. And I, I think yeah, that's yeah. and that's probably what you're you're describing as well that in the moment of the bomb disposal particularly in the last 15 to 20 minutes yeah you're you're I, for me anyway i'm there with richard harris yeah and i'm feeling very tense and i'm not really thinking too much about the other stuff and i think that's probably a sign of of the, the level at which i enjoyed the film because i was willing and able to suspend my concern about the fact that why is why is he doing this and not with all of the other ones? It didn't really bother me that much yeah, at that particular point. And I think if the film if the film didn't connect quite as as, as well as it had done, I'm more concerned about that. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So and it's like it's like other things. You know, most films you'll forgive a lot of films if you just enjoy the film, right? Yes. If you enjoy the film, the kind of little things that nag you, you kind of go, ah, well, it doesn't matter. Whereas if you if you have a fundamental dislike of the film, those same little things will be the things that really really great. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and uh, I think for me it was probably the former rather than the latter. The only thing I would say as well, I mean, you, you mentioned this in in the synopsis that um, it takes about an hour for the film really to, I wouldn't say to kick in, but when it ratchets its upper level into the tension, and you said the film begins at the hour mark. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of disagree with you on that actually, because I, I think some of the best scenes in the film for me were in that first hour. The tension scenes at the end are pure technical kind of prowess i suppose really they're things like you know the last half an hour film it's tension because you know you know the situation you know you know that this is bomb disposal you know it's going to be um 
you know, high stakes. You know that there's going to be beads of sweat. You know there's going to be shaking fingers. You, all the tropes come out. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. And it works because of that. But, but for me, some of the best scenes in the film was the, 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 the pathos in the party, the descriptions of how the film, um, of how the kind of the, the story develops through the visual and oral storytelling. I liked the, um, the transitions that took place in the film. I really liked the, the parachute drop. I thought that was a really good scene. And partly that's because I like analog special effects, right? Yeah, yes. They stunts. And I love stunts. I love real so we had this conversation with Darkman actually a long time ago yeah. where Darkman was on that cusp of CGI but it didn't quite have the quality of CGI to make it work so there's a scene in it where the helicopter Liam Neeson is is hanging off a helicopter yeah. and he's really I mean it's probably not Liam Neeson but he's really hanging off a helicopter and I'm thinking that's more impressive than any CGI explosion that I can see in a Marvel film you know, that's a real man hanging off a real helicopter flying at quite low level through buildings. And here, people were really jumping out of a plane. Yeah, and I, did, what- yeah. I, I, agree, I agree with that. And I remember, again, thinking thinking as I watched the, again, that certainly the, the, the boat landing bit, mm. that it wasn't always you know, the perfect shot or the perfect way of doing it or you know, the perfect frame. Mm. But that was because it was actually happening. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, yeah, whereas exactly. if you CGI'd it, you would have had under, it would have been artistically shot. They'd have you know, come in from the top left yeah. to the middle right. They'd have landed in the perfect way and this kind of stuff. But basically, they were, just trying, to keep, real. They were trying to keep the stuntman alive. Um, and they were, you know, they were flailing around. They were trying to drag themselves out of the water. And and you engage with it because you know it's real. Again, the, the, the brain is not tricked enough by, by CGI yet to, to, to be fooled. You knew that was a human being failing around in water and you knew they were you know, they were wet exhausted men trying to climb ladders and you, yeah. you felt it that you were with them well um and again i was reading around richard lester um in his kind of um, directorial styles and there was a, a an article it's the same article where i read about omar sharif's poor final few films yeah. of which this was an example of one and, and and it was saying that basically richard lester was he the way that he described his filmmaking style in this was um, to try to make it less professional. So although, and, and by that I mean, um, he wanted he wanted the f- he wanted the film to look like a look a bit messy. Yeah. So to, to look as though you just walked into a room and there were people there that you didn't know and they were walking about, or that things were slightly off center and and stuff like that, because he wanted to get that sense of the ship moving about and you not really knowing where you are in the ship and the kind of the 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 the, the, the necessity for um, to be a little bit in the dark yeah. as to what's happening. I'm not sure that that's completely successful because I think in some elements of it, it would have been quite nice to have a bit of clarity around, as you say, why are there seven bombs? Why do we need to have these disposed of at certain times? Yeah. You know, wh- why, why are certain people doing certain things? But again, I kind of, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So for me, the, you know, the first hour of the film, I, I, I really enjoyed the, the final 40 minutes or so. I also really enjoyed, but for a different reason. Yeah. Okay. I did obviously think actually comparing it again with, with other type, you know, bombs, hostage bomb films, I and mean, Speed is a good one. And of course, Speed yeah. speed didn't place all its eggs in one basket. It had, it had kind of three bomb diffusing sequences. There was, you know, the elevator to the bus, which was the big yeah. bit, and then yeah. the, the, the carriage in the end. And it's like, you know, it's, a, it's an awful lot of weight to put on a film just to have the one bomb. But like, if, you, if you've got, you know, an audience can only stay so tense for so long and if you don't give them you know releases and this kind of stuff and i guess maybe that's what the the, the, the initial explosions were there to do to, to give them the sense of and we're, we're into the next phase now um yeah but it, it well, but it, yeah it's um i think yeah it was 
it's hard to get around because you've got one problem. Again, that's the thing. It's one problem. It's one bomb in a sense. I know there's, there's lots of them, but there is the new ones. They've got the first one. They've been okay. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's one bomb that's that's standing in the way of your protagonist for the well, whole movie. And and I, I think I think that probably leads me to the for me the biggest flaw in the film. It's not a major flaw, but there, there certainly is a flaw. Well, there's the I think there's two things actually which I think you know are, are slightly problematic about the film. The first one is the romantic interlude, which I just think could be totally dropped and it yes. wouldn't be. Interesting. I think the character the, the the character can still stay, but just doesn't need to be in that kind of romantic process. What Especially I think actually is that the romance. Is flipped. It, it ends with them not together. I mean, they're basically um, he, she, she kind of almost. I think it's almost the, the, the situation's resolving, and she like says, you know, are you interested in me? And he just turns away. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, um, I think Rokinia makes a joke saying, um, "He's not on the icebergs." And she looks mm-hmm. at her, and she's saying, "Don't believe part it." That, part from that one, yeah. Yeah, and she says, uh, be, "You know, be honest with me. Is the water cold?" And and he says, um, "In my professional honestly, opinion, yeah, not, not hot." <laughs> And it'll, it'll ruin your hairdo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, well, give me some good news. Well, there are no icebergs. Yeah. And then she says, well, apart from that one, pointing to the captain. So basically, their, their romantic subplot, which we've you know, wasted a lot of time on, ends with, he doesn't really, he's not that into her. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, totally. And um, the, the other thing it, I think that, you know, could, could do with um, improving in the film, I guess, really. And it's probably what separates um, a film like Juggernaut from... You know, one of the classic of the canon, which would be something like Speed, which I think is a better film. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, despite Juggernaut being the title of the film, I don't think the villain is particularly effective. I, I, th- I think the film could do with a better villain. Yeah. Effectively. So you know, it, it, because as you, as you've said, I think, and it's a, I think it's a key point. You've got Richard Harris as a very strong protagonist. And his role is to defuse a bomb. And that in and of itself has a lot of tension. But what would elevate it from tension to searing tension and fantastic interplay between those? You need another protagonist, I think, who is who is the who is the corollary. You know, you need you need you need that protagonist who's going to be the exact opposite of of the hero. And it's not juggernaut. Yeah, it's the bomb, but the bomb doesn't have any character. Yes, and that I think is a flaw in the film, and that that really for me is what stops the film being um, in, exceptional. I think, and that and it's it's where a film like Speed works really well because you've got you've got a really good villain in that film. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's con- he's still the villain is also active. Um, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, yeah, absolutely. Yes, good point. Um, I think some characters we've not touched on this much is that um, again David Hemmings. I think again the the rapport he has with Richard Harris and the, those two characters. Fantastic. They really yeah. do seem like you know good friends and old old comrades together. So his loss is not just oh now it's getting serious. It's a proper mm. body blow. Even and, though and, even though you know yeah. in a, but if once you get your head around the tropes of bomb defusing films, you know the the protagonist's best buddy is going to die to the yeah, bomb. Exactly. That's what yeah. just happens. But I was in it sufficiently that it came as a shock to me yeah and what what i think is quite clever is that um that that strength of relationship is built up in not many scenes yeah yeah you know it's 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 one or two scenes really and i think it is really effectively i I wonder in real life whether richard harris and david hemmings were quite good friends because you you do get that sense they they do riff off each other is even the wrong word they're very different characters but they seem to have a warmth 
which comes yeah. through really strongly. And it's pretty much the first scene. Again, they, they, oh, it is absolutely. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah, they, they're doing the bomb, and this comes in with, and with this biscuit tin bomb, and he goes, oh, morning, Charlie, what a biscuit. Um, well, and you know what? And this is where I was going to come to the point about Richard Harris, right? Because I, I think a lot of this a lot of this is to do with Richard Harris's performance, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, David Hemmings is a fantastic actor, you know, yeah. very, very famous actor. But, but I think Richard Harris's performance in this is superb. Yes. Um, he, he, he plays... He plays Fallon in a really kind of sardonic way, I suppose. Um, there's, the, the, I, I, we've talked about this before. I think the script is quite workmanlike, and I think if you were to put a different actor or an actor trying to be bombastic in the role, yeah. then the script would be shown up. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I think the script's bad. I think it requires a particular actor to act in a particular way, and I think Richard Harris nails this. Absolutely perfectly, in the sense that he's he's quite light-hearted in some 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 moments, as you say, you know, the 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 biscuit thing, you know, like Charlie, you want a biscuit, all this kind of stuff. He's you know he says things like um, Fallon's still the champion when he's disarmed the boss. You know, you know, he's 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 confident, borderline arrogant, but never unpleasant and always attractive because of that. Yeah. Uh, he's calm, relaxed. He, you, I really want to go to the pub and have a pint with him. You know, yeah. you think what, what, what company he would be. Yeah, and also you know, um, I'm sure Richard Harris will take you up on that actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, um, yeah, there, there's moments in the film again. You're right. He, he's supremely confident in his abilities, but he also you, you're always aware that he is doing this because he's put his life in danger yeah. for the sake of others. And it's things like when Omar Sharif goes. Um, you know what happens if this bomb is is you know is rigged to detonate, and uh, he goes, well, I guess we will find out in a few minutes, won't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, he's he's very not not um, careless in his own mortality, but he's no, aware of it. And, or tactless. And, 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 yeah, I mean, he's he's aware of, of, of the danger he's in, but he's not paralysed by it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 in it, yeah. It's in it's in the script. It's in quotes. Where he says things like, you know, death is just a way of telling you you're in the wrong job. Yeah. You know, some you know. A pithy, a pithy one-liner, which isn't intended to be comedic necessarily, but is, a, but is, is, is very sardonic and is just presented as is. Yeah. But, 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 but with the warmth that he presents it, you know, I was rooting for him, obviously. Yeah. But I just because he was so, so outstanding, I really wanted, I really wanted a, 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 a villain in there as well. I mean, you know, I, I just would have loved to have had someone. Of, of the equivalence but from the other side you know that would have really kind of yeah. put the icing on the cake I suppose yeah actually well again one more point again that Charlie's death was I think again the way they managed to do that in the plot because it's it's you've, you've got that puzzle to solve you know the the second in command has to die to make the first to make the protagonist more more dramatic but mm. he's leading the way because he's the leader so how do you get it that he goes first and to have the ship rock because basically the reason why he says it is because yeah, the ship suddenly tilts and Fallon's thrown back and Charlie doesn't realise that they've they've paused in their process so he goes ahead with it and it's really good because a, that gives you a logical reason why that would happen but also yeah. you're thrown thinking the ship's rocking that's going to set them off and you're, you're worried about yeah. the wrong thing so even yeah, though you spent yeah. the last ten minutes terrified that one of them is going to set a bomb off in that split second you're not and that's when they do it and that's when they do it yeah and yeah, it, yeah. 
It's it's well played actually. Yeah, if you yeah, actually the practical really effect of, of, of David Hemmings blowing up is terrible because they basically just pause the scene and then flash it like a they yeah, they do a negative shot like a posterizing shot of that. But but the actually was like oh my god are you, do you do think what's just happened what's that is yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you're a bit shocked you are because you you yeah you're expecting you're expecting the jolt to be the issue and it's not it happens you know five seconds after that yeah so that was very very helpful. clever actually. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to discuss with regards to Juggernaut? Uh, Juggernaut, um, partly again an, obs- an observation of it, and partly it will veer into um, into recommended films. Yes. Is one film I did get a strong strong rela- connection with. It was um, it was made ten years later. Uh, Who dares wins? Oh, which was okay. um, I don't know if you know it, but it's basically uh, it's it's a it's the dramatization of the Iranian embassy when the you know the Iranian embassy siege yeah. when the SAS break in the windows and, and get them all out. This was it wasn't they weren't um, terrorists in the Iranian embassy, but it was basically um, terrorists take over an embassy and the SAS have to break it in and, and do the stuff. So it was, yes. it was just, let's make a whole film out of this, and it, it had that it was British made. It had that kind of you know, that wet pavement feel to it, that, uh, that documentary yeah. style, and it and it um, it was that kind of thriller. And again, Juggernaut was based on a, a real life event when it was uh, yeah. the QE2 had a bomb hoax and Royal Marines had and par- SBS had to parachute into the boat so it was like well that was exciting that made a good bit of footage how do we build an entire film around this so the the, the two it was like yeah real life counterterrorism let's quickly get a story that, that allows us to do this and, and pad it out for, for 90 minutes so that was that's, yeah that's a good that's a really good example I've not seen the film I know I know it but I've yeah. not seen it that yeah um, that there's it's, it's almost I, I it's this quite it's quite a niche genre really in the sense yeah. that it's it's not a disaster movie but it's kind of like a a, a kind of um a, it's almost like a hijack procedural yeah you know it, it, it's it's not bombastic i don't think juggernaut is bombastic yeah if, if anything it's the other way around it's quite it's quite um it's it's the alternative really it's you know it's 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 dreary <laughs> almost yeah but it is muted again it's, it's, it's again, muted. Com- it's compare muted. it with speed at, at the same time in speed when literally keanu has a bulletproof vest on and is racing around you know yeah. leaping on a bus you have you know richard uh, harris smoking a pipe no you know you have yeah ian home you have the you know the the, the, the police detective the government guy and the director yeah. sitting in it or standing in a room being a bit tense and speaking in muted tones about what the best procedure is to go yeah. forward with um, yeah. and, it, and it actually works quite well actually I've not mentioned that um, the other the, so there is obviously tension between Ian Holm and um, who's the government man going? Hughes Hughes uh, I should remember that yeah when Hughes yeah. Um, about what to do you know whether to pay off and this kind of stuff and then when they bring in Buckland you know he almost not quite confesses but they said you know why'd you do it he's like oh, you know i i defused bombs and then i built bombs and then i just you know, wanted more money this kind of stuff and they clearly his mind is just tipped uh, yeah. to do this and as they go off um hughes just looks at ian home with an accusing like you think we can treat with this with men like this yeah. and ian home just fires right back at him you make men like this That's cracking line, which is a cracking line and also actually quite philosophical for a procedural thriller very it, much so and also not on the government side it's like given that we've been on the police's side and the side of order and this kind of stuff to have you know the government essentially yeah. you know portrayed as not entirely in the right with this um, is, is an interesting certainly in the 1970s even now it's, it's like well actually now you'd expect it now you'd expect that kind of countercultural, um, you know 
screw the government, they're all just creating monsters. But, yeah, you know, yeah. in the 1970s, uh, mid-70s, oh, no, 1970s, yeah, I know, I know there was that, that tone, but not in mainstream movies of this kind no, of nature. Just... So I was, it was an interesting, it was a nice line, an interesting direction to take. When in fact, the hero is the is the corporate director who just wants to hand over <laughs> half a million to a, yeah, to a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking, The yeah. real villain of the film is the, is, is, is the, the British government. Yeah, who, who sees 1,200 people as just collateral in the ongoing war against yeah. terrorism. Yeah. And if, if you lose them, that at least shows you know, you, you you gain a yard against terrorists who won't try it again, maybe. And it doesn't matter that there's twelve hundred people there. And you know, even Anthony Hopkins, whose wife and kids are on there, is is visibly stymied. He just his his contribution to the debate is no opinion. And he says that a lot. He says I've, I've no opinion uh, because he, he what yeah, he wants yeah, to do yeah, is that, because when Ian Holm then says I'm paying the ransom, he goes yes, you've made the right choice. Yeah. But he's, he's he can't he can't get involved prior to that because no. because his bosses are standing right there and they, yeah, they exactly. but it's it's. And that, yeah, there's a lot going on in that. There is, and you know, there aren't that many scenes with those protagonists together, mm. and and so there's, you know, there's obviously the scene early on where you talk, where they talk about, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't pay ransom yeah. to, to terrorists. You know, so you, you've got that moral dilemma that runs through the film as well, and I suppose actually it needs to be that moral dilemma, otherwise the film's plot doesn't move forward. That's why um, Fallon is there. Yeah, I mean, I I, I found it quite hard to choose. Uh, or recommend other films with this, just on the basis that you could probably pick, you know, you could put your hand in a in a in, in a hat and pick out a, a film, and it will have a ticking time bomb in it. Yes. You know, there's, it, all, it, the tropes of, of films like this are significant. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned something like Hurt, Hurt. I mean, I wouldn't even recommend a film like Hurt Locker because it's a totally different film yeah. to this. It's not; they're not really comparable. I don't think. Um, I would be really fascinated, actually, in the, the, the history of bomb diffusing scenes in cinema. It's like when did when did audiences come to expect the wire yeah. cutting scene to get rid of a bomb? Because it's it's silly. At some point, it happened, and it became part of the audience's vocabulary that this is a bomb, and this is what the hero has to do to get yeah. rid of the bomb. And there's always well, the wire, and one of the wires will set it off, and one of the wires yeah. will not. Well, I wonder. It's a similar thing um, with. Um, it, bank heists or um you know when people break into safes yeah you know it's, it's that as well that's happened some at some point that was the first time that had happened yeah um in a film and then it's almost like it sets the scene it sets the um it sets the the, the kind of framework for all the other films like that yeah um, you know they add things to it they take things and they add different context to it but it's fundamentally the same thing i mean any mission impossible film for example pretty much ends with a ticking time bomb yeah. different contexts different scenarios all very enjoyable. Yeah. It's a ticking time bomb, and this was a ticking time bomb. Yeah, I will give this some props. Actually, I did get the sense that someone had researched bomb making or bomb diffusing did, with yeah. this because there's a lot going on. It's not just a case of Richard Harris is poking around wires and cutting them. He's isolating circuits and he's checking for yeah. tumblers and, they, and he's explaining it as he's going on. Yeah, which of course he has to do, but both for the the, bo- the bosses yeah. in London to follow him and for Charlie to do that. But also, we now all know what's going on too, which is great. Yeah, and in that regard, I think you know. Despite the technical description of bomb making in it, it was never boring. No, no, yeah. no. never boring in that. Um, okay, well, is there anything else you wanted to mention with regards to the film? I think I, I'm done with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I am too. Well, there we are then. We've we've deep dived into Juggernaut. Yes. Join us uh, for the final part when we will snip the final wire and uh, give it our scores. <laughs>
Welcome back as we come to the uh, the final countdown uh, for our analysis of Juggernaut. We've taken a good look and it's been a while, so let's go straight to it. James, could you give us your score out of five floating crombie heads? Half marks are not allowed. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, Juggernaut. I think that it's a, it's a very good... Um, suspense thriller certainly isn't a, a disaster movie. I, I particularly enjoyed the um, the juxtaposition, I guess, really, of the tension of the bomb disposal and the pathos of the um, experiences on the ship, coupled with the the the, the always um, enjoyable sight of Anthony Hopkins running around, which is which is which is good fun. Based on all that, it's not a perfect film. I think there are flaws within it, but I did enjoy the film significantly despite those flaws. So I'm going to give it four disembodied Crombie heads. Four crumbie heads. I suspect mm. that's where you're heading. Uh, for myself, um, I I've enjoyed it a lot more recapping it. If you see what I mean, partly because <laughs> partly because of the recalibration mid-film in that oh, it's not a disaster movie. Yeah, kind of threw me. Um, partly, again, I I do think there are flaws in it that I again I don't didn't enjoy. I think maybe the, the technique and the the way it was done. I can see now it they, the way it was done was a choice, but it was not one that engaged me as much. That said, good performances in it. Some of the scenes are fantastic. Some of the performances are standout, um, and and yeah, it was it was nothing terribly objectionable. There were a few missteps, but I think it's worth three floating crumbly heads from me. Very good. I think that's fair as well. So you know, we we have a, we have a seven disembodied crumbly head score there. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's worth a look, given uh, no one has ever oh, heard definitely. of it, and you'll, if you find it by either title, it's a it's a it's a good one to you know, just to, to take it in. There's, um, there's some look, stuff it, in there. It is. It's good to take it. It's entertaining, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's an entertaining film for, for its flaws. It's an entertaining film. Yeah. I think that it is an underrated gem. Yes, I'd be it, surprised it if it made money. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. Or was, and certainly again, it's it's been used as a byword for oh, look where these actors either started out or ended up. Yeah. Um, it's underrated. Definitely. Well, now this this dear listener <laughs> is is where we all um, find out what. Uh, Childlike musical I'll be watching <laughs> in April. <laughs> yeah, of course. You're in for a treat. You really, as he describes what film we'll be watching for um, Volume Three, Episode Four. Well, as as fortune would have it, you're in for a treat because you indicated early in the episode that you have a soft spot for films that are renamed. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so, uh, without giving anything away, you, you may you may be aware of the film, but if not, we'll dig into it anyway. Uh, next month, we will be analysing Trespass. Oh, trespass! Is that with um, Ice Cube? With no, Ice, ice, ice T, both T, both ices, Ice T and Ice Cube are in it. The the iced. The ice. The, the, the pair of ices also again. Um, Bill Paxton, William Pullman. There's, yes. there's a lot going on in there, so we're going to look at trespass next week. Trespass. Yes. And what? And that was that called Judgment Day? No, it was called Looters. Um, we're going to get into it. It was called <laughs> Looters, but it was in the wake of the LA riots. They thought maybe not. No, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. But, oh, well, I will look forward to it. I've not seen the film. I know oh, I've got, I've oh marvellous. Okay, then, then join us uh, for then. And until then, I hope you all have a very pleasant, a very healthy and very dry weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. Hello, my goodness, we're heading into Too Late the Hero territory with this guy. Oh, God, analysis. aren't we? Whereas that was almost an hour. That was a... Really? <laughs> for the analysis part. I think we are going to lose our only listener, then, aren't we? <laughs>